0: or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org.
1: From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lodridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Today we'll talk about giving. As today is Giving Tuesday, we'll talk about ways to give and how to select who to give your money to. We're always happy to take your general personal finance questions as well. Contact us by email. The address is money at mpbonline.org. So uh, financial news in the news today. I have one that we were just talking about before we came on the air and thought it might be worth mentioning, and that is uh, Zelle the, is in the news. It's a peer-to-peer uh, money transfer right? yeah. uh, company, I guess. Uh, and we were talking about the, the, the fraud that can be involved in there. So I wonder if you both could maybe offer some tips to for people to keep in mind if they use – there's a number of them. Cash App is another right. one. So. And I
2: use a lot of those, uh, Venmo, PayPal, all of those, um, because so many of us just don't carry cash anymore, and it's mm-hmm. an easy way to transfer to another person. Be careful with any of those transfers and make sure that you got the right person. I usually do it with that person standing beside me or on the phone and then i will ask them to verify did you get that because if you get the lettering wrong on their name it can go to the wrong place right
3: yeah, that's right. And with a lot of those that are apps, you mentioned Cash App, Venmo, they will have, uh, if you're in the same room as the person, you can scan the other person's app to make right. sure that's you're perfect. sending to the correct person. Uh, in addition to Zelle, and that's just so it connects your bank accounts, so which is kind of difficult to do previously if you didn't have that person's bank account information. How would you send them money to their bank account? It's difficult, complicated, expensive. This just makes it a lot easier. Uh, there's a couple of different versions that Zelle Pop money, I know, is one that is used by some banks locally. And with all of those, the fraud is when somebody convinces you to send them money. So it's all about, as Nancy said, verifying you're sending it to the right person. You've got their name spelled correctly uh, because, because again, that is a connection to your bank account. That is a connection to your money, and that money is gone. Once
2: it's gone. And and the, the codes, the QR codes, now you're seeing the musicians have them instead of a tip I have tip seen jar. that. Yes, yeah. I have seen that. Okay, I don't yeah. have a few documents to toss in your <laughs> yes. tip jar. I can scan this and, and yes. send you some money electronically
3: and I'll, I'll say with all of those the moment if, if you if you have sent something to the wrong person, the moment you realize that the, as soon as possible contact the bank contact the account where you sent it from because with some of these there there is some time would do they do have they may have a few hours they may have a few days. Uh, and that's why a lot of times we talk about, you know, when you're spending on a credit card, you have a month and a half before exactly, this, yeah. before the consequences <laughs> affect you. So you have a while to actually get around to it with those. But again, dealing with your bank account, much shorter time frame.
1: And I I learned the hard way that uh, you do have to be very careful because this was a couple years ago. I was sending someone some money for a tennis tournament that I wanted to be in, and there was a very similar name, and I sent it to the wrong person. And honestly, that happens easily. This person actually said, hey, I think you accidentally sent me some money. Let me send it back to you, and they did. Mm. So I was very happy with Mm. that. Mm. Yesterday I sent some money to my sister, and she just got it, and it was like until the last letter of her address at Cash App, there were several choices. And so, right, again, yeah. you've got to make sure it's exactly to mm-hmm. the letter correct. And,
2: you know, you're in a hurry. You're You're on this little tiny phone that you're trying to do this, and that's easy to happen.
1: All right, so Nancy, what else is uh, on your mind this week, money-wise?
2: Well, um, a lot of people traveled last week. We certainly traveled. And as we were on the road, we just noted how many uh, big trucks were out there moving goods uh, around this country. But for all of that, I'm still watching uh, the railroads. And so railroads are critical, and we have a deadline coming up. We thought they had an agreement with their unions earlier in the year. It seems like it might be falling apart. So everybody is scrambling. Congress included to try to get them to come to the table and agree to this latest contract um, because if that shuts down that's going to affect our entire economy
1: supply supply chain issues again right absolutely yeah. And so we
3: were also talking earlier about the retail sales numbers. That's a favorite of Nancy's. Uh, I'm yeah. surprised this is not what she was uh, going on. I down. got distracted but, by <laughs> trains. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which which you would think that's my issue. Um, so online figures, the online figures, we, we have those pretty much immediately. Uh, brick and mortar retail stores. It looks like sales are up from last year. Uh, it'll be a while before we have great numbers there. And one thing we were talking about, sales have started started earlier. If sales start in October as opposed to November the twenty whatever if then then that money has stretched over longer. And so the specific days don't look as impressive. But Black Friday sales look like $9.12 billion in sales. That is a record that's higher than last year, which was slightly lower than 2020. So it's kind of flat. Uh, Cyber Monday is growing. Uh, So people are putting off some of their purchases until these big online sales on Cyber Monday. That is growing. That was $11.3 billion. Uh, Biggest discounts have been obviously toys, electronics like we talk about uh, is kind of those those have increased in price less than other things but Overall, discounts have been a little less than, than people have expected.
2: Because we have a healthy consumer.
3: We have yeah. a healthy consumer and, and, and stores are kind of, maybe they're kind of drawing the line they're where, holding they w- back. where they want to. Um, in-store shopping, it was reported that things like beauty stores, personal care and spa businesses did the best. So people were going to get their massage instead of going shopping, which I think is also a really good sign for the economy. That sort of thing is, is, a, is a higher discretionary purchase. Uh, So that's a good indication people are opting for experiences over things, but that's where the biggest increases in spending in person were, even if some stores were declining in person
1: couple of follow-ups. It seems to me that Black Friday, Cyber Monday is all kind of melding into one yes, glob. Yes, it is. Because um, I, there's a Puma outlet store at the Outlet Mall in Pearl that I like to go to. Uh, I'm on their mailing list. So I got an email for Black Friday to go to the website, uh, puma.com or whatever it is. And the pair of pants I wanted were there, but they were exempt from any sort of sale. But I had a coupon for the actual store which had a 25% off everything in the store and it was an outlet store so it was already percentage off so it was interesting to me that the same product was considerably cheaper by actually going to the store on Black Friday and getting it versus ordering it online Oh on that Black is Friday.
2: interesting yeah, yeah. so I,
3: I've noticed that some stores that do a good online business they will make note they'll say this may be different from the in-store price which uh, makes it a little bit of a hunt. Oh, am I going to get a better price going into store? Uh, sometimes it is genuinely different. Sometimes it's a, it's a, it's a serious and, difference. And
2: remember they really want you to come to the store. They, because, didn't, they didn't build that store yeah, for nothing. <laughs> that, but you're more likely to spend on other things and when you're online I tend to just mm-hmm. have this uh, one thing I'm going after. But if I go into a store and I'm standing there, I might pick up three or four items.
1: Well, I'm proud of myself. I only went to one store at the mall, and then I with the pair of pants, I saw them. were in my size and everything. I did take a cruise around the store, but I did not buy anything else. So I got my one item for there Black Friday, and I was done. Uh, the other follow-up is uh, wasn't it uh, the biggest day for TSA on Thanksgiving or this week? I thought I read, the, I read that somewhere. It was
2: huge. The The airlines were packed out mm-hmm. and um, that's why I just thought I, I don't think I want to fly on the holidays. Mm-hmm.
3: So the last I had just pulled those numbers up the last three days. Again, a fairly decent increase over last year. Still not quite to 2019 numbers of people passing through airports, but uh, 22 almost 2.3 million uh gone through on the 26th uh, 2.5 2.6 million gone through on the 27th 2.4 going through on the uh, well, I guess that was yesterday on the 28th. Uh, so that does compare well to last year, probably about 100,000, 200,000 more people going through airports Which than last year every day. Which brings
2: us to our favorite discussion of inflation. If everybody's oh moving around the country and they're buying things, it's really hard mm-hmm. to tamp prices down.
3: And if you have bought an airline ticket recently, you know they are not as cheap as they used no. to be. So –
1: all right, it is Giving Tuesday today, so we're wondering what questions you might have about charitable giving. We're also ready to take your personal finance questions. You can email money at mpbonline.org. So, uh, Nancy, advice for someone who wants to donate cash. What are some things to keep in mind?
2: Well, it's fine if you want to give cash. Uh, if you're giving it to an organized charity, a 501c3 nonprofit, a church, um, you want to have some record of that. And hopefully you can use it as a deduction. For many, they can. Um, But make sure that there is a record. So a lot of churches will accept cash donations. Often they have an offering envelope. So you uh, have a record of that and they can then report that to you. Otherwise, nobody knows what happens.
1: If you have a question for our experts, you can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We're talking about charitable giving in Mississippi. We have a way to look up information about charities, and we'll have that for you next. You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app, and then you can listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand to all the local MPB Think Radio programs. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy lotridge Janderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder-Taft Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Our Mississippi Secretary of State's office has a charities list. If you go to their website, sos.ms.gov, and click on Charities, you can search for a charity, file a complaint, start a charity, or read tips on donating. It's Giving Tuesday, and we'd like to give you some tips on making contributions. But also, we always look for your personal finance questions, and so we go to the phone lines and invite Tim into the conversation. Calling from Pearl, go ahead, Tim. You're on the air.
0: Hello. Yes. My question is, I, I'm a uh, first-time father, and um, trying to see what would be the best way to like save for my uh, child. Um, I just talked to a friend of mine. He, he was talking about like. Um, I think you like sort of like an IRA for them, or you can um, do the, I forget, I know it's like a college savings plan, but like even with that, I think there's like, there's ones you can you can invest in yourselves and there's not only just you let them invest it and or just start like a savings account. I don't, oh. I don't know. It's trying to see be the best way to send them off for the future.
3: Tim, congratulations from one first-time father to another. I'm very excited that you're calling. Uh, so the first thing I w- we just want to kind of. Make a note about the first thing. Your friend suggested an IRA. Your child would have to have earned income. Now, there are a lot of folks who talk about ways to allocate some earned income to their children. But uh, if this baby is as new as it sounds like, then it might not fly that well with the IRS. And I don't really want to invite trouble, certainly not on the public radio. Uh, Another thing, you mentioned college savings plans. Those are great. We talk about those a lot on this show. I'm sure Liz is going to chime in in just a moment with a couple of shows that have some more information. But each state runs its own 529 plan, and the 529 plan is the college savings plan. Mississippi actually runs two of them, one of them which is essentially you prepay for the tuition. Uh, Essentially, you select – a, you select, oh, am I going to pay for a year of community college or four years of university college or anything in between, they give you a price. You can either pay it as a lump sum or monthly over the next few years or monthly for the re, you know, up until they're 18. And that really locks you in. It prepays the tuition. It's, it's nice peace of mind there. But again, you are locked in also to the payments. It's not very flexible. Um, and then cool. there is the other 529 that your friend mentioned. Which allows you to just save money, and there's some investment options there's limited investment options, but they're they're fine here in mississippi and and you can say an age based option where it starts off with stocks and it's aggressive growth. And as you put money in, it grows and grows. And as they get older, it gets more conservative so that it will meet the needs of them in college. That's very flexible. You want to just add money as and when you can, uh, you want grandparents to add money. That's a great way to do it. Birthday money, any special things, but you're not committed to any sort of level of funding there. It's very flexible. We're pretty big fans of those. Um, and then, okay. yeah, and then lastly, you mentioned just a savings account. That's great. Um, I would not necessarily open a savings account in their name. Uh, if you did want to do that, that's an UGMA or UTMA account. I forget which one it is here in Mississippi, but that is an account which is essentially held in trust for them. Once they turn 21 in the state of Mississippi, it becomes theirs. And technically, the money in there can only be spent on their benefit. Maybe just open up a savings account in your own – and then there are some kind of tax and college uh, uh, financial aid implications to uh, a savings account in their own name. My recommendation is generally – unless it's going to be – unless you have a serious plan behind this – just open up an account that you keep to the side that you know this is designated for uh, my child, and, and 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 that's that's what I'm going to use
2: it for. Uh, know that those college savings plans that Ryder mentioned, a lot of people think, oh, that means I have that child has to go to school in Mississippi. That is not mm. correct. Uh, they can be used at any school, private, public, anywhere. Um, also, the five twenty nine plans have been opened up for use in private K-12 through 12 education. So you can save and use it for that when it's not even college.
1: And uh, Tim, one final thing. If you'll go to moneytalks.mpbonline.org and search for the broadcast from September 3rd, 2019, that's an hour-long discussion about these 529 savings plans. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, Tim, good to hear from you. Thanks for the call. Thanks for starting us off. Let's stay on the phones here for just a moment. Next, we'll talk to Gail, who's in Long Beach. Gail, you're on the air with us. Go ahead.
0: Uh, yes, i like to know what the tax implications are for me. Um, I have a hobby that I do at my house, and I go to farmers markets or uh, art festivals and sell my products. What are my taxables? implications
2: do you, um, Gail, do you have someone who helps you prepare your taxes?
0: Uh, yes, I do.
2: Okay. Um, you need to talk to that person, and they're going to give you some guidelines. If you sell items, uh, any kind of product, service, then that's generating revenue, and you will have expenses on generating that mm-hmm. revenue. So possibly a portion of your house, if that is um, designated for producing this item, can be used as a write-off. Any other things that you do, uh, mileage as you go to and fro from these events... All of those things. So talk to your accountant about what will qualify as an expense, and that will then offset the revenue. If you're doing this and you said it's a hobby, but you're selling this, that means it's not really a hobby; it's a business. And so you need to keep track of all of that, all of those receipts, all of the income. Uh, make sure if sales tax is supposed to be taken out, that you take care of that. That's very important, and uh, and then track all of your expenses so that the tax Tax implications are as low as possible.
0: I was under the impression that at a certain age, like 62, um, you were exempt from that.
2: I don't believe so. I don't. I have never heard that. Have you, Ryder?
3: I'm not aware of that. I was just looking at the IRS regulations and definitions on what a hobby is. A hobby is any activity that a person pursues and has no intention of making a profit. But they do take into account a lot of factors. Like Nancy said, they, they have non-factors. I'm not going to read them out here uh, on the air. But your, your CPA or ACPA will be able to help you with that. Essentially, if after expenses you are making income, this is you. You'll probably report all of this as self-employment income. It sounds like if you're regularly going to farmers' markets or festivals, you're probably going to have enough revenue for it to for it to matter. Generally speaking, uh, if you make less if you make less money, and that's going to be in this case income, but you're going to have to show that on the Schedule SE. Probably, this is we're not we're not CPAs. This is this is just my best guess at a lot of this if you make less than the standard deduction overall over all sources of your income then you are not going to owe taxes uh, but the the duty to report especially that what sounds like self-employment income is is going to be that's going to be on you
2: and, of course, remember, there's. I mentioned sales tax. There's a difference between sales tax and income tax. Uh, sales tax is governed by the state tax commission, and you don't want to run afoul of that. And so you need to make sure any kind of festival that you mm. go to, check to find out, am I required to report and pay into this system? That's interesting.
1: All right, Gail, thanks for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio talking today about charitable giving so, Ryder, our MPB Foundation is encouraging individuals, if they're able to, to donate stock. Who could do that, and why might that be a good method for contributing to a charity? Uh, yes.
3: Yeah, so, the, just the big general idea here is that charities can take, uh, well, as long as they're capable of it, uh, anything of value. They want anything that is worth money. If they can turn it into money, fantastic. Stock, appreciated stock. We talk about investing all the time here on this show. If your stocks have grown, if you own shares of a mutual fund, or a company that have grown then that has great value to a charity and it also has great value to you when you give it. Highly appreciated stock is a great gift to the recipient to the MPB Foundation they get the full value of the stock the stock moves into their account they can sell it, it's $1,000 $1,000 worth of IBM shares, they sell it, they've got $1,000 in cash, they can do all the great things like pay Kevin. And then <laughs> to the donor, to the person who gave that $1,000 of IBM shares, they get two, th- you know what, they get three things here. They get a deduction for the full value. So the IBM is trading for $1,000, they gave it, that's $1,000. Of course, that's subject to limits of based on your income, but that's for when you file your taxes. But uh, they also avoid paying the capital gains tax. So say they bought that IBM stock a long time ago. I have no idea how it's performed over the last few years. I feel not well enough. But say they paid $200 years ago for that stock. If they sold it, they would owe taxes on that gain, that $800 gain. But if they give it away, there's no gain for them And they get the deduction. So it's kind of a double benefit. And the third benefit they get is that warm and fuzzy feeling knowing that Kevin is going to get paid that week.
1: Um, Can I just interject here very quickly? (laughs) Wait, is that not how the (laughs) – That is a separate thing. (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh, Oh, oh, okay.
3: Kevin's Kevin's cooking. It goes to much more worthy uh,
1: things than paying my (laughs) salary. Let's put it that
3: way. Okay, my apologies, my my apologies to the MPB Foundation, uh, but not to Kevin. He, you know, (laughs) we have an understanding. Um, And then an interesting thing someone mentioned a couple weeks ago was he gifted, I believe to his church, his tree cutting contract. So he had mm-hmm. timber ready to harvest. He made a contract with a harvester who was going to cut it, log it, whatever. And so he gave that contract to his church. He got a deduction for the full value of that contract. Say they harvested $100,000 worth of trees. That would have been to him hundred thousand dollars worth of income, not capital gains. So he avoided the income tax on that. He got a deduction for the income for that hundred thousand dollars, and since he was only giving the contract, he still owned the land. Now, of course, if he if he had taken the income and then given the money, he would have had some deductions off the side of that. But it sounds like in his case, he, that was a much better deal to give income. Uh, which he not only did not realize but got a deduction for, so –
2: Um, know that this year is a little different because the market has been down most of the year. Uh, We saw declines in the 20% range. So we are not really encouraging a lot of our clients to donate Mm -hmm. stock at this point. It's better to do that when you've had a really good year and you've had nice appreciation and you're going to make the gift anyway. The other thing is the catch in donating stock and donating a security is that is going to come probably out of your brokerage account. Mm-hmm. And so the receiving charity also needs to have a brokerage account. Now, a lot of charities already have those set up. You can call them. You can ask, do you have a brokerage account? And what's the information? How do I uh, design a form or a letter to make sure this stock gets into your account? Mm-hmm. If they don't have one, and we run into this with folks we work with, we will actually open up an account for the charity, and so that they can receive that. And typically what happens as soon as that stock gets into the charity's account, it is sold because they want the cash.
1: We're talking about donating to charities. If you're considering donating to a charity based outside of Mississippi, where you can go to get more information about them? We'll have that information for you next, and we'll have Jonathan from Meridian. He's on the line. We'll take his call. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotcher anderson president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. If you want to get some information about a charity you're considering donating to, CharityNavigator.org provides free access to data, tools, and resources to guide philanthropic decision-making. So that's CharityNavigator.org. Got a phone call to get to. I promised Jonathan we would get to his call, so he is on the air with us right now. Good morning, Jonathan. Go ahead.
0: Yes, uh, how you do, sir? I thought you for taking my call. Sure. I was calling to see, to see whether... There is a limit amount of cash you can donate to a church uh, charitable.
2: Uh, no. Donate-
3: so I there's no so. limit okay. that you can give them. You And and, and if you ask your church this question, they would say, of course not. There's no <laughs> limit, yeah. uh, just like the MPB Foundation will say. Um, but there is a limit to how much you can deduct against your income. Uh, with cash gifts to public charities, and I believe churches and schools fall in the same category, that limit, I believe, is 50% of your I believe it's adjusted gross income. So say you have $100,000 of income. If you give more than 50000 then whatever above 50000 say you give 60000 then that extra 10000 you can carry that over to next year, but you can't deduct it against your income this year. Uh, so that's okay. the limit.
2: Um, and also All note right. that the percentage that you can deduct per cash is higher than the percentage for securities. I That's think correct. securities is somewhere in the twenty to thirty percent range. Twenty
3: thirty. There's there's a variety of uh, deduction limits, and they do stack together. So you can give some stocks some cash to to reach that fifty percent limit. But uh, depending on the type of charity, is it a private foundation? Is it a donor advised fund? Those have a, a lower a lower limit. And then, what are you giving? Is it a is it a collectible? Is it is it is it toys and goods, or is it stock, or something easily measured, or is it cash? Which is just there you go. Cash is just money. So that that's that's the biggest deduction there. Uh,
2: the bottom line is check with your CPA.
0: Okay. Is there a different form you have to fill out uh, if you go beyond the five hundred dollar uh, uh, right off? for for a church is, is there a special form you have
3: to fill out Yes yeah, so are you referring to the there is a $300 deduction you get if even if you don't itemize your deduction $300 per person $600 for a couple which you could give to a church, charity any charity and you can deduct that um there is a separate form if you're going to itemize one there's the itemized give it, the the itemized deduction form which where you just you just say what is the dollar amount of the gift that I did and that's if you gave more than the standard deduction which is in the $12,000 range for an individual twice that for a couple And then if you were giving things other than cash, you would fill out yet another form which showed, oh, here's the stocks I donated, here's the pile of clothes that I donated, here's the car, boat, or RV that I donated, here's the cash that I donated, and who, who those went to. So just kind of the more complicated your giving gets, yes, there is more IRS paperwork involved.
0: Okay, thank you.
1: All right, uh, Jonathan, thanks for your call. If you have a question this morning, you can email the show. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. And we do have an email here that says, I'm a nurse in Mississippi, and I'm taking my first contract job in December, and I don't think it's a W-2 job. I have to hold money back to pay my taxes for the first time. I have two dependents. Would it be safe just holding 30% of my paycheck, or do I need an accountant to make sure I don't mess things
2: up? Well, if you're a contract person, basically you are self employed. So it's up to you to then prepare for taxes that will be due. And you can do that a couple of different ways. You can carve out a certain amount, and this person mentioned 30%, and I think that's a reasonable amount to carve out. Put it in a Basic savings account or money market account that's not subject to market fluctuation because you know you're going to have to pay that tax uh, at the next tax filing time. Possibly you're going to have to start paying into. Um, those estimates, a quarterly estimate. So check with your accountant. And uh, when you start the beginning of the year, because this person is starting in December, in January, check with that accountant, let them know what you're going to be making. And they may go ahead and set you up with those quarterly estimates. And that's just a less painful way of having to deal with the taxes when they come due.
3: Yeah, like Nancy mentioned, one of the issues is setting that aside and making sure it's safe. And so this quarterly estimates do help with that. Also, I was just kind of looking 30%. Keep in mind, as a self-employed person, you have to pay what... Folks normally don't. Their their employer normally handles all the tax withholding for them. But they importantly they handle and they pay some of your payroll taxes, which is about fifteen point something percent of it. So that's kind of half of what she's thinking. She's got a pretty good estimate here. Uh, I think that would really go up to even up to a hundred thousand or so of income. Of course, if you're making substantially less, it's it's not going to be a huge difference. That you, you're you're pretty much in one or two brackets that entire time there, uh, but of course don't forget also to set aside money for your own savings. If you are a contract worker, you probably don't have access to a 401k or something. So look into at the same time you're talking to your CPA about tax withholding, ask them one about what sort of items might be deductible for you, what things you can keep track of, what expenses of your own might be deductible, if any. And two, if there are any sort of retirement savings you can do, The best thing may be just a regular IRA or a Roth IRA, but depending on your income, a SEP IRA may make sense. That does have generally a much larger deduction to it and is often available to self-employed
1: folks. And I think it mentions it's her first contract job. If you do not have an accountant prior to that, would it be a good idea to get one in the situation? I I
2: definitely think think anybody who is self-employed, and as I said, a contract person, you are basically self-employed. They need some help with preparing all of that and thinking ahead on what your options are for deductions.
1: All right, so we're talking about charitable giving. Nancy, another pot of money that someone might uh, choose to donate from is an RMD, if you would remind us about that and why that might be a way to donate.
2: That is a required minimum distribution, and that applies to people who have retirement accounts, and they are 72 years old old or older, and it is a calculation based on the value the previous year end and their age, and you have to take it out because these are tax-deferred accounts that Congress allowed us, but by golly, they eventually want to get their share in all of that. So that required minimum distribution, if you don't need that to cover your current expenses, and you're going to make a donation anyway, what we do with a lot of our clients is we help them give that amount directly directly to the charity. And so there's a way you can bypass yourself so it never shows up as income for you and goes directly to them. Now, um, for a lot of retired people, they don't have enough to even do itemized deductions. Maybe your house is paid off. You don't have all these other expenses. And so you wouldn't get the advantage of a charitable deduction anyway, but you don't want that extra income because that extra income from required minimum distribution can affect two big things. It can affect your Medicare premiums if it bumps you into a higher bracket. It can also affect how much of your Social Security is taxed. So be careful with that. Talk to your broker, your financial advisor, and also your accountant about um, donations and using those required minimum distributions. And I would point
3: out, so this used to be when the RMD age was 70 and a half, we often did talk about this being one in the same as giving your RMD. Uh, it is slightly different. So you can still do these before age 72. You can do these at age 70 and a half still. That is still, I, as far as I know, I know that was the case last year. Uh, s- Still, the case for giving these qualified charitable distributions. So, QCD or qualified charitable distribution, that's the magic words for your CPA there. If you want to add to that alphabet soup, Uh, I will say as well, they're not necessarily reported that well. Guidance from the IRS is how to report that on the 1099. It still just shows up as a distribution, and they just check a box that says, some of this may not be taxable, but they don't break that out necessarily. So it is still up to you to keep track of how much you did give versus how much you did just take out yourself. And then there is a limit to that. If you give, you can give up to a hundred thousand dollars per person. So that would be two hundred thousand for a couple. Uh, and but that is from each IRA 100,000 from each IRA there. So there's there are some limits there, there are some magic words there just and and do as with all of your charitable giving, if you want the tax benefits, please 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 keep good records.
1: Your CPA will thank you later. This is Money Talks and we're talking about Giving Tuesday. Uh, We'd like to give you some tips on making charitable contributions. Ryder, everyone wants to get the biggest bang for their buck. Do you have some tips of ways someone could amplify their donations to a charity?
3: Yes. Uh, The first thing that comes to mind is just the most literal one. We always see things about matching funds. And I used to think these were just, oh, it's a fun way to say I gave a dollar and somebody matched it and it became $2. Oh, that's so nice and sweet. Oh, it became $3 or, or, or whatever the case may be. But I've realized kind of seeing these programs work, it's not just fun for you. There is a donor who is putting that money up. And if that charity doesn't reach, say they've put up $100,000, and if they don't reach that $100,000, the donor may not actually give them the 100000 They might at the end of the day, but they, they may not. So the donor does want to see that challenge. They do want to see other donors like you and your friends and your family engage and participate. So it really does help the charity to actually engage in matching programs. It, it's not just fun because, of course, you don't get the tax benefit from those matching dollars. So it's it's kind of like, well, why would I do that? I don't get the tax benefit. I'm giving the same amount. Why do they really care? They do care. It it probably is more money for them, and it's definitely more engagement, which they want a lot to that effect, awareness, letting people know uh, who you're giving to and why. Uh, I will occasionally just post on Facebook when I'm making a large gift. I've been involved with some charities and some foundations, and so I'll make make you know p- post on Facebook just to just to say what I'm doing. It's not a big deal. You, you don't have to go pester people about it. Asking people to give to a charity that you love is it can be hard. Uh, but sometimes when people ask you, "What do you want for Christmas?" Tell them you want a, a donation to XYZ charity. Oh, this cause is very close to my heart. Oh, my pet died. Give it to this pet charity oh my friend died of this cause give it to this charity that's that's a big that's a great thing Uh, another thing is thinking about the actual organization you're giving to I was thinking again with pets do you want to focus on someone that's rescuing abandoned animals or someone that's stepping in a step earlier and spaying and neutering animals so that there we don't have that bigger problem down the road Uh, I think that's an interesting way of thinking what organization itself is having the biggest impact with the dollars that I give them.
2: And that's something that uh, we've been having conversations in my household about. Uh, typically, that's what people do towards the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And really, you need to be make a conscious effort with this and sit down and think about as a family – First of all, how much should you be giving? How much can you afford to give? And then really give serious thought to how you divide up that mm. those that set of dollars. And um, we track it from year to year so that we go back and we ask the question, well, do do we think we really made an impact with this? Is there another group that's important to us right now? It does change because our interests change through the years, and uh, certain causes are kind of at our elbow more than others. But be very deliberate about this process. It is important, and I think it's a good way to also involve children and talk to your children pretty early on about uh, giving and being generous and what things are important and get them involved in all of that as well. We're talking
1: about donating to charities, and we've got a very official place you can go to check up on a charity. We'll have that for you next. We're glad you found our show, Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives always like to give you a program reminder, Tuesdays at 10 a.m., immediately following our show, listen to In Legal Terms right here on MPB Think Radio. To find out if an organization in the U.S. is registered as an official charity, you can go to where they register, irs.gov. Across the top of the website in the main blue banner is a link to information about charities and nonprofits. We've got another caller on the line. We're going to Selmer, Tennessee this time. Dave has called in. Good morning, Dave. You're on the air.
4: Good morning. Uh, thanks for your program. I've got a question about giving. It's not to a charitable organization, but hopefully it's not too far off track. Uh, my brother uh, ran into some hard times, and he's having trouble paying his home mortgage off, so my sister and I decided we would just pay his house off for him. The total amount is about $36,000, and we went to the IRS website, and it says you're allowed to give 16000 mm-hmm. per person to someone else without them having to pay tax and without having to pay tax yourself. And uh-huh. I understand is that correct or? Yes, that,
3: that's correct. And that and that number is going up next year. I believe it's gonna be seventeen thousand next year. But you've done it this year, sixteen thousand is the correct number I believe.
2: So Dave, let me ask the question, is your brother married?
4: He is, and that was the other part of the story. My <laughs>
2: <Yes. sister laughs>
3: he hasn't finished this yet.
4: A, right. She wrote a check to him well she wrote a check to the mortgage company for 16,000 in his name and then wrote a check for 16,000 in her name
0: mm-hmm. and
4: then I wrote a separate check for the balance of like 3500 or whatever we sent it directly to the mortgage company in their name
3: Wow Dave and you it- got off e- easy your sister gave
4: <laughs> Well <laughs> As Paul Harvey would say, there's the rest of the story that I'm not telling Okay.
3: (laughs) Totally fair. Totally fair. But
2: yes, that is correct. You you did it correctly. Um, Even though um, the IRS is not that much of a stickler on these separate checks, Um, you can just indicate it's for these two people. Um, And I've seen people do it on the memo line. I've seen them write a check to both Persons, Mm -hmm. Um, so it's fine. You're good.
3: You did a good job with the paper trail, though. That's fantastic. And and I will also mention. I know you've got a little more to the story, but for our listeners out there, you can also give. Say the amount is higher. Say you only have one person giving. Say you only are giving to one person. You can also give a five year gift, Uh, and that's a way just to give, just to just to bring forward five years worth of gifts. So that would be $80,000 uh, this year because five times this year's gift is $80,000. Next year, that, that number will go up a little bit. Uh, but that means that is all you're going to give them over the next five years. So uh, I believe, though, you might have a little more to to tell us about that.
4: Well, I have a little bit more to the question. Now, I'm, the way I understand it, my sister, she's on Social Security. She does not fill out a tax return, and that wouldn't change that, correct? And my brother is in the Nobody but me fills out a tax return, and I don't, the way I understand it, I don't have to show anything, and nobody has to show anything on their tax return. Is that correct?
3: That is correct, and and the point of that dollar number is so that you don't have to put it. If you gave more than that dollar number, it's not just that there are some tax to pay for somebody, but there are also some reporting requirements for you. So, uh, but I always encourage folks to keep uh, record of these things. Your 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 ca- your canceled checks is, is going to be adequate, um, but that is correct under that limit. There's no taxes for anyone to pay. Uh, there's there's no reporting requirements. Everyone goes home happy, and that's just a wonderful thing that you were able to do for your brother.
4: Well, good deal. I'm I'm glad that it worked out that way, and that everything that I read and going through my little peanut brain was correct. And we don't have <laughs> government, so thank you very much for that. Yes, right. sir.
1: Thanks for the call, Dave. Let's uh, go on the phone lines again. Off to Starkville we go. William is on the line. William, you're on the air with us. Go ahead.
0: Okay. Good morning. Uh, I I know of uh, of three instances where where uh, contributions for scholarship funds at uh, at uh, large uh, while well, educational institutions universities here in North Mississippi where the uh, uh, the funds disappeared uh, over the decades uh, because mm. of uh, critical uh, critical economic uh, situations or financial situations with the with the colleges and uh I wanted to to and furthermore most institutions uh deduct uh, a uh, an operating fee a, a uh, uh annually from any from any scholarship fund uh you know it's only 3 4 5% but it's still money uh I wanted to recommend that an alternative way to to leave to a foundation to a, a scholarship group is to use Create Foundation in Tupelo, who have a distinguished record of low operating costs and uh, charitable mm-hmm. uh, function, and uh, you actually can can establish a. a, a and it's not an account but whatever whatever your contribution is i think can be established in a growth program where they invest it and mm-hmm. generate more money rather than extracting uh, extracting a fee to uh, to handle it and so i just wanted to recommend that as a, or offer that as a suggestion for a different way to uh, to leave your money in a safe uh, situation mm-hmm. to for, for whatever charitable purpose you might uh, care to use it in, in the case of of uh, university scholarship contributions sort of thing.
3: Yes, um, William, that's a great idea. So Create Foundation, that is a community foundation in North, North Mississippi. There are a couple of other community foundations in Mississippi. Of course, there's the Community Foundation for Mississippi uh, based here in Jackson, kind of created out of the merger of a couple of them. Most states, large cities are going to have community foundations of some sort. And I think one of the ideas here is that at least in the case of how I've dealt with Community Foundation of Mississippi, uh, obviously very similar to create them. It's a lot more transparent about what is going on with the money that you give, and what we're talking about here is giving a large lump sum of money and establishing some guidelines for that scholarship say you say you give a hundred thousand dollars and say every year you will give x dollars or x percent uh to folks from this school or this county who are going to this school or or studying this degree. And so that's the idea. More transparency there, uh, but maybe better than giving it directly to the school with a little less accountability.
1: And not surprisingly, we have an archived show about community foundations. Search for the December 1st, 2020 episode of Money Talks at moneytalks.mpbonline.org. This is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous support from listeners. Uh, you can list, uh, search for the podcast if you want to subscribe to the podcast. Our show is produced by Liz Gill. Our podcast producer is Jermaine Flood. And our call screener today was Charles Arnold. For Nancy Lotridge-Anderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio.